you know, these first weeks together, as we looked at Genesis, what we really have been seeing in our own culture, that there is a, a spiritual war going on. Uh, and that war begins with the ideas of the mind. We have two very different worldviews being presented to us in this culture today. We have the biblical worldview that believes that God created the heavens and the earth. And when he brought these, this creation to being, he did it in seven 24-hour periods. And we've been looking at those. And, and uh, as I've been demonstrating and will continue to demonstrate, there's good scientific uh, evidence uh, for this idea that God created the heavens and the earth. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Joe Suazo. Uh, we're in the fourth part of a series on these first chapters of Genesis and within these chapters we've been discussing uh, from the Bible God's Word how we know the world began how the world began we see the purpose and design of man within these chapters uh, origin of sin and evil and then ultimately God's remedy for the corruption that we see on earth you know these first weeks together as we looked at Genesis what we really have been seeing in our own culture that there is a a spiritual war going on uh, and that war begins with the ideas of the mind we have two very different worldviews being presented to us in this culture today we have the biblical worldview that believes that God created the heavens and the earth and when he brought these this creation to being he did it in seven 24-hour periods and we've been looking at those and and uh, as I've been demonstrating and will continue to demonstrate there's good scientific uh, evidence uh, for this idea that God created the heavens and the earth on the other hand we have a very different worldview presented which is this material atheism or material, uh, they call it uh, material evolutionary theory, uh, where the universe began 14 billion years ago and through years of uh, evolutionary process uh, that ultimately the world we see it as today exists. Very two different worldviews. And, and I would hope that you would see that that this other worldview, this what we call material scientific atheism, is really in contrast to the Word of God. And it's really stolen the hearts of many, many people. Because if you can tell people that I've just come about by fate and chance, how in the world can I argue that your life has value? If, if I believe that somehow happenstance from a, an explosion, uh, many billions of years ago that, that uh, uh, I've come out about through an evolutionary process, uh, you know, beginning with a simple cell all the way through, uh, you know, the monkey and then man, 
Uh, how can I argue and tell a young person that they are loved and have value? And so it shouldn't be a shocker to us that we have a culture that's literally hell-bent on just living for pleasure and self because that would be uh, my choice too if I did not believe that there is a God who loved me and has a purpose for me for these days on earth and has commands for me to follow that my life may be rich and full. This conflict between these two views really is at the root of so many of our social ills. Um, one of them being, of course, we're going to see this in a few weeks, is just the sexual deviance of uh, what's going on in our culture. Um, and uh, another, hand, uh, another one that we're going to be looking at uh, besides that is the state of the marriage. Uh, what is the purpose of marriage? So uh, Genesis outlines all of these things and some of the problems that we're having in our society, even environmentalism that takes God out of it instead of caring for the world because of the glory of God we have uh, a different kind of thought. We're going to get into all these social issues that stem from how we understand the, the words of the book of Genesis. When my eyes are open to who God is, as revealed in Genesis, the one who created everything, the one who created the world in seven 24 or six 24-hour periods, then with the psalmist, Psalm 19, I could really sing the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork or Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell upon it so I, I walk you know if I if I'm a scientific materialist I walk through the woods and I say I appreciate the beauty of what I see but I do not know who the author is and so I try to take from that beauty something that isn't to be taken. Instead of worship, uh, you know, it's all for me. But if I have the Lord at the center of my heart, when I walk into a sunshine, sunny day today, it's nice that the sun is shining, I look at the sunshine and I can praise God. And my heart can be filled with joy. So very two different uh, points of view that we're going to be looking at this morning. Our uh, focus is going to be on the fifth and sixth days of creation. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to pick up the book of Genesis right in the beginning. Um, in fact, the Pew Bibles have pages, and I'm just curious if it's page... It is page one. Look at that. <laughs> um, so please stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter... 1 verses 20 through 25. And God said, Genesis 1, 20 through 25. God said, let the, this is the fifth and sixth days of creation now. Let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds above the earth across the expanse of heavens. So God created the the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarms according to their kind. Now this phrase is going to be our focus this morning according to their kinds. 
It's mentioned ten times in, these, uh, in this chapter of, of Genesis 1. And God saw that was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And the Lord made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Father, we just ask as we just discuss these chapters, our hearts would be encouraged this morning as we learn to worship and appreciate your amazing power, the beauty that you've instilled in creation, and the lessons to be learned, Lord, as we look to you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. So you may be seated. And so again, the, the key phrase here in this chapter that we're going to look at this, this morning is each according to his kind. We read these six days of creation, Genesis 1, the phrase that comes up repeatedly. Uh, and on day 3, we see when God created vegetables, plants uh, with their seeds. Each was created according to its kind. Day 5, when God created the fish, the birds. Again, we see each was created according to its kind. Um, day six, with the animals of the earth, uh, each was according, recreated according to its kind. But what does this mean, created according to its kind? And what difference does it make, whether I understand it? Well, creation scientists, those who believe in the Bible, argue this means that God creates certain families of animals already in place. Meaning they didn't evolve from lower life forms, but were already developed fully as God intended. A few examples, which of course we're all familiar with, are dogs and cats, which came from canine and feline families of the earth. And we know that there are thousands of varieties of dogs, wolves, hyenas, coyotes, uh, cats, tigers, leopards, mountain lions. Uh, scripture... And science, uh, creation sciences argue that when God created, he created uh, the kind with the ability, uh, remember what we've been discussing, a microevolution. That's different than macroevolution. Meaning that within that kind, there is the ability for that kind to develop other kinds of species. But uh, a coyote goes right back to the canine group and the dog family. A tiger and that little you have in your house are somehow genetically related. Don't, don't ask me how, but <laughs> over thousands of years uh, we see these differences that come about and they're genetically connected. Now, this is the problem with evolutionary theory and I have this nice little chart I think up here. Can you throw the next slide up there? Okay, so probably some of us have been exposed to this. This is very uh, common. This is a children's book uh, from, again, material, uh, scientific materialism, stating that, you know, without God, things start with a simple organism millions and millions of years ago. And then they have this chart for children. 395 years ago to a fish, somehow 340 million years ago 
it developed into somehow its ability to go onto land and eventually around 300 million years uh, we got these things creeping on that and that's where we came from folks um, that's macro evolution the idea that over millions of years uh, everything that we see has come about through this evolutionary process uh, but both of, of these ideas of God creating the world in six days and then vegetables and trees and, and animals and, and everything in the sea, each and birds according to their kind, is very different than this picture. And both cannot be true. And I believe that the reason we have this is a spiritual one with great spiritual warfare and the actual ideas of a world without God is from Satan himself. Why? Because if, if uh, we are swayed to not put our confidence in God's word then we're going to look to man for its answers and that's really working out well for us, isn't it? The biggest problem with evolutionary theory is ultimately its lack of evidence. I mean, first of all, what is science? If you read up a, a, a definition of what science is in even the Academy of Science, they will say it's based on empirical evidence. And I can observe it and study it over time. I come up with uh, different ideas of how things came about. But the problem with this is theory it's not empirically based. It's called theoretical science. Uh, is anyone around 395 years ago, a million years ago, to observe this? Absolutely not. So based on a theory, they, now where did this theory come through? Well, one is through um, the idea of a fossil record. So they look at the fossil record, you see this they, you've probably seen this, and we're going to get into this when we talk about the flood some weeks from now. If you've ever seen a geology column, which will have these different layerings, um, with, according to millions and millions and millions of years old, uh, we've all seen these charts. They would argue that into, in these, these uh, fossils would lead, lead us to believe that things were created and evolved over time but the problem is there's absolutely no evidence for it. These are called intermediary forms because for example if something evolved from a simple cell over a period of million years to complex life you should find evidence of those fossils buried in these ge geological columns but you don't find that. In fact Darwin understood that this was his biggest problem and said this, this is a quote from his Origin of Species, his famous book, he says, why do we not find intermediary links in the geological or rock formation? It's perhaps the most obvious serious objection which can be urged against my theory. Now, there is a layering of rock called the Cambrian Age, they talk about, which is around 300 million years ago, and they say, well certainly, this was Darwin's thinking back then, if we can get a better scientific analysis of that age, because that's where the explosion of all this life came about, 
Then within this Cambrian age, this, this particular grouping of age, I would be able to discern, or science would be able to discern, how things evolved from less complex to complex. But the problem is, we're uh, over 160 years later, and have we found that evidence? No. Uh, we're going to talk about that when we get to flood a little bit more about how these geological columns that we see came about through the flood, not, which was only 4,000 years ago, not through millions and millions of years of evolutionary process. And so the first problem with, with this theory is the lack of evidence in the uh, fossil record. A second problem, and we've been talking about is mutation theory, and um, by the way, we don't usually preach like this. If you're visiting here, I'm just going through this because this is the problem we're facing in our culture today. I believe that this is the source of so many of this. So it's important for you to understand and have confidence in the scriptures. Mutation theory, so the evolution will argue, the evolutionists will argue that things evolve from lower life forms, starting with the cell, to more complex life forms through a mutation process. What is mutation? It's the reshuffling and uh, the adding of information so that a cell can, can become a fish and a fish can become a land animal. So it, uh, by, by, by their own definition, it would have to be the addition of information. But the problem again is in a laboratory and any evidence, there's never been any time observed a mutation where information has been added. There's only a reshuffling or a taking away of information. Remember we talked about this with the, the dog species, right? Uh, if you have a wild natural dog who's able to hunt and survive on its own, it's got a long snout, it's built to hunt. Then you took my poodle, you know, may her soul rest in peace, and uh, she could only survive literally uh, like an hour in the wild <laughs> or a few hours uh, before she gets there. She had to be trimmed in a certain way. She had to be cared for, I mean, in every single way. She's like, you know, a baby from beginning to end. Not so with the wild dog. So the, the poodle is a removing of information. It's not an addition. So never has it been, uh, there's a, uh, observed, a, a reshuffling would be my daughter as a golden doodle. You know what a golden doodle is? Very sweet dog. I think the Rands have a... Is, it, is yours a golden doodle too? Okay. <laughs> I think theirs is a golden doodle too. They're nice dogs. I really like them a lot. But I would say not a taking away, but a reshuffling between what? A golden retrieval and a poodle, right? The best of two worlds. So uh, these are mutations or through interbreeding, but they aren't not a removal uh, they're not a gain of information. And then the final argument we've been looking at against evolution is the sheer complexity of life. Remember we looked at this a few weeks ago? Um, remember we talked about from Professor Stephen Myers of Cambridge, he had an essay on irreducible complexity and how even a simple mechanism like a mousetrap, which only has five parts, you know, to argue that that mousetrap didn't come from design but came from an explosion is preposterous. Now, 
when you really look at, first of all, there are over 20 anthropic principles that govern our universe. Uh, I'll give you an example, like the laws of pressure is an anthropic principle, or the way light behaves is an anthropic principle. Uh, gravity, these are all laws. Now, how does an explosion create laws that give us this perfect, beautiful universe that we look at? And so that's one of the arguments, is the anthropic principles. The other is DNA. Remember, we looked at this a few uh, weeks ago. And just when you look at the DNA uh, strand and just how complex, it's a mathematical formula. They know this. They know this because each of us have our own unique DNA coding. That coding would say, yes, that is a person. That is a man. That is not a dog. That's a man. But then within that DNA coding, uh, you know, Pastor Mike and Pastor Joe, they can tell us apart. So uh, that's how specific it is. And, and it shows absolute design. The question is, how did that come about through evolutionary process or the cell? Darwin, remember, didn't even have a, a really good microscope to look at the processes of the cell. Now, in the 1950s, what was called a nuclear microscope was developed where we can see things tens of thousands of times. And what do we see when we look at a cell? We see a miniature factory of all kinds of processes going on of design. And so all of this shows the absurdity of evolutionary theory. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created things each according to his kind, not with evolutionary process, but with the ability of um, microevolution, in other words, within the dog family you have thousands of species of dogs you know I was looking this up think about this this is crazy how many varieties of string beans are there take a guess well that's a big number 600 I, I looked it up 140 but still that's a lot horses right it's the family is called equity you know zebras donkeys mules horses uh, over 3,000 varieties of horses. So all these God created according to their kind with the ability to change into these things. And you can still today, they can interbreed a zebra and a horse and all these things because they're connected through the family that God created uh, thousands of years ago. So I'm just going to wrap, wrap that part of my sermon up. I have a little video to transition to the next per part of it where we're just going to talk about the amazing animal kingdom that we find in the scripture. So uh, if you can just throw that video up there. Within even the most mundane backyard is found an extraordinarily diverse range of organisms. Just look at the animals slugs and snails, butterflies and praying mantises, squirrels and birds. Some have skeletons inside, others have skeletons outside, and others have no skeleton at all. As different as the various animals look to us, every cell of every animal contains the very same type of energy factories, factories which digest food. In contrast, the plants get their energy in a radically different way by taking it out of sunlight. And as different as animals and plants are from each other, the unnoticed organisms in your backyard are even more different. Fungi, for example. 
can neither produce their own food nor take the food in to digest it. Instead, they digest the food on the outside and pull it in. Bacteria have even more incredible designs. They are able to break down molecules no animal or fungus can digest. For example, they break down grass in a rabbit's stomach and wood in a termite's stomach. Other bacteria are even more different. They get energy from every imaginable source, eating sulfur, oil, ammonia, or even iron. Some bacteria living in the roots of bean plants even get their energy by breaking the virtually indestructible bonds of nitrogen gas. How did such vast differences come to be? At present rates of change, there isn't enough time. Even if billions of years were available to derive one kind of bacteria from another. Yet all this great variety among bacteria has been found in fossils in the lowest rock layers of the earth. This supports the biblical account of creation, that life did not begin as a single cell as is commonly taught, but that God created phenomenal variety right from the start. The incredible variety in your own backyard is a daily reminder of the Creator and His love of variety. That's uh, Answers in Genesis. I encourage you, if you're really interested in this subject of creation science, um, to go there because I think it's important for us to have a deep confidence in God's promises and His Word to us. And uh, there's just, they have so much more information I can give you in a short amount of time on Sunday. Uh, God's amazing world that he's given us. Why did God do it this way? Well, if we would argue, and we can from the scriptures, that before the creation of the world, before the angels were brought to be, God is, because he's from everlasting to everlasting, in the counsel of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, when he would bring about the world as we know it, and ultimately man creating his own image, it was all to reflect something about his glory. Anywhere we look, when we have the Lord in our lives, our hearts can be uh, brought to a place of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving for, whose God is, for who God is. And you look to the heavens above and the sheer distances and the amazing way that God's created the universe to the smallest cell or even to the way the atomic world is organized like miniature universes, every atom. Uh, our hearts should be drawn to worship this amazing God who brought all this to be and put him first. That should be the application. We don't worship creation. You know, I feel sad. There's this, a uh, few years ago, there's this uh, video that went viral. There's this um, kind of millennial guy. I don't know if he's on magic mushrooms or what was going on. <laughs> but a, a rainbow came about. And he's just on the side of a hill in Oregon weeping at its beauty. But not worshipping. You know, there's a lot of people who, who understand that the world is a beautiful place. But they, they try to find value in it apart from God. It's not possible. The experience of appreciating beauty is here today, gone tomorrow, but worship is forever and ever. And so God has created the world around us for worship. That's why when we come here on Sunday morning, we would hope, in a small way, that the worship team can bring 
and soften your hearts to the beauty of who God is. That's why we do it. Not something to do just to get to the sermon. I know some of you might feel that way. I used to think that way. But it's not just something to get through. But train your heart to worship because God is worthy. So let's just talk about, for a few minutes we have left, the amazing animal kingdom that we find in days five and six. The, the fish, the birds of the air, and the animals we see all around us in this world. You know, biologists have counted, this is, again, me looking it up on Google, uh, 33,000 species of fish, 8.7 million species of animals, and about 10,000 species of birds. All of these things came about through microevolution. Um, creationists would argue that um, probably we started about with 3,000 families in all categories that over the years have just continued to develop into different kinds of breeds and species. So with the few minutes that we have, I want us to pause and look at just a few of the animals of the Bible and talk about what we see in God's Word and how God himself wants to teach us through creation. I mean, it's a simple lesson. Um, and in the Bible, over 120 different animals are used to teach spiritual truth to us. And so I thought it would be good just, I obviously can't go through 120 of them, but I will go through, I think, about eight of them or so. Let's start with the fish of the sea. We're going to talk about fish, birds, and animals. Fish of the sea. In a Bible, we see the fish used in a few different ways. We have large fish, probably like the whale, that swallowed Jonah to teach us how God is always in control and his word is irrevocable. Uh, Jonah needed to hear that. Do we need to hear that? Uh, you know, figuratively speaking, I've been swallowed up by a whale a few times trying to make sense of the world, not wanting to do what God wants us to do. And here he is, it gives us a beautiful, beautiful uh, picture in the Bible of a man living counter to the word of God and God just swallows him up. And uh, he obeyed after that for a little bit anyway. Uh, but it's interesting. In Job 41.1, and again, large fish, he says this to Job because Job also is struggling with the goodness of God and his suffering. He says, can you pull a, a, a leviathan, that's a, probably a whale, with a fish hook or, uh, or tie down its tongue? And of course the answer is no. You know, think about how ludicrous that would be. Or put a cord around its nose. Uh, point being that Job couldn't do it, we can't do it, and we can't know the totality of God's purposes and way. And so there's times to just trust him in his goodness and glory. And you look at an amazing animal like a whale. Has anybody ever done a whale watch? I did one whale watch. This is off script, by the way. I might get myself in trouble here. But my wife and I are on a honeymoon in uh, Cape Cod. We go on a whale watch and we're all excited to see some whales. And we get on this boat. And the announcer was like a radical left-wing environmentalist. <laughs> and we did see a whale, but she was just grating on me the whole time. I wanted to throw myself overboard, but that's... 
But it is amazing when you see these, these uh, beautiful fish. They're just so majestic, right? When we go to smaller fish, we see how they provide food and how Jesus talks about them many, many times, dozens and dozens of times. His first disciples were fishermen. You know, I wonder about that because if you've ever gone fishing, it is a test of patience, isn't it? If you're a guy who wants fast results, don't go fishing, right? It's supposed to relax you. Some people get stressed out because they're not getting fish. But he chose the disciples because ministry takes time, right? It's a, it's a, a practice of patience. We see Peter's discouragement all night long. And uh, what does the Lord do? He's on this land and what's he doing? He's cooking a fish. And... Uh, yells out to Peter and Peter jumps off the boat because he was fishing he wasn't catching any all night long and he sees the resurrected Christ we see um, how Jesus called them fisher of men beautiful beautiful picture of how God uses the fish to teach us we are all fisher of men right birds of the air another category when we come to the birds of the air we see how God describes a steadfast faith with an eagle I love this, and so many of us are familiar with this from Isaiah 40. Those who wait upon the Lord or have faith in the Lord will renew their strength. Uh, what does that strength look like? They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They'll run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint. Now, some of us know this already, but the amazing attributes of an eagle, uh, their ability to see things great distances, Two miles away, they can see things with greater clarity than we can, 2020. I, 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 that's crazy, right? Um, they can stay up for hours and hours. When I was used to walk through the Himalayas and we were up, you know, three, four miles and you can see the valley below us, here they are just above us, just kind of just taking the wind. And it's just, they're amazing. Um, I think what this communicates about the eagle is my faith in God lifts me high above my troubles that I can see things from God's perspective from afar instead of being so tightly wound about them with anxiety and worry. Now, through the Lord uh, and faith in him, I'm carried away and can see things with great clarity. So that's just my application. When speaking of new life renewal, God's word also uses the eagle. You know, some breeds of eagle have the unique ability to throw off all their old battered feathers and grow what is called a new scapular. Psalm 103, God's promise to us, I will renew your youth like that of an eagle. Uh, you ever just, life just gets so uh, like that, you just say, I need a new start, Lord. I need to have my soul restored, renewed. That's the picture here. We need that. Just like an eagle just throws off its feathers, has it a new, a new perspective. With birds, God also uses the ostrich to talk about being fast and swift. Sparrows to talk about God's omniscience and love for us. When not even a sparrow falls from a tree without God, without God not noticing. How God provides for us like the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. Don't worry or fret. And so the Lord uses birds all the time in the scripture to teach us. 
And then, of course, the animals of the earth. There are hundreds of references of animals in the Bible. Courage is described like a horse ready for battle. Power like a bull or an ox. Sheep who are weak and need to be shepherded. A rock badger that is small and vulnerable but shows wisdom when it finds protection in the rocks. There are goats that can climb areas where no other animal can go, teaching us how God can carry us to heights above our troubles. The lion that teaches us about the devil who roams about seeking to devour. The donkey and its stubbornness, remember Baal? Uh, which shows a heart of an unrepentant sinner. Um, the pig that shows us the mire of sin that we can get into and how quickly we can wallow in it. Dogs who will, not, who will return to their vomit, which teach us like what a fool is. They keep on going back to their folly again and again. A gazelle reminds us of its speed and agility of its youth. A snake for its poison, describing sin and the devil. An owl speaking of its swiftness to hunt or how it can dwell alone without a flock. Again and again, the scripture uses animals that we may understand God's ways. Isn't that interesting? It's not happenstance that creation was put into place. Uh, God did this all because he wants to teach us. God does not need the animals. But he created this amazing world we live in that we may know him more deeply, more better. We're going to learn more about that. Psalm 104. How manifold are your works, O Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The sea, great and wide. Teams with creatures innumerable. Well, there's one more animal I just want to talk about. When John the Baptist saw the Messiah of Israel, Jesus, for the first time, he said, the Lamb of God, behold, who takes away the sins of the world. You know, if you were to try to lead a ox or a bull or a goat to the slaughter, even a chicken, I've seen chicken slaughtered in India, they don't go easily. They squawk, they, you know, put up a pretty big fuss. You know, there's a whole science I don't know if anyone's read that book or seen that movie with this woman who's autistic and she came up with a unique way because there was so much mayhem in the slaughterhouses when they would kill these cows uh, for food. And it was just absolutely inhumane. And she created a way to calm them down. But any animal does not go to the slaughter willingly except this one, the lamb. Willingness to go without even putting up a fight. And um, John Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. Why didn't he put up, could he have put up a fight? Scripture says, by him all things were created. Nothing in this world was created without him. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, all things were created by him, visible, invisible. And we look at so many other scriptures about his power. And yet he emptied himself of all that. He came to earth as a lamb. And allowed himself to be led to slaughter. Why did he do that? Well, I think most of us know. He came to die for our sins. Have his blood shed. 
that you and I can know the Lord. And God chose to call him a lamb. Revelation says he's the lamb now, of course, who is on the throne. <laughs> That's how the lamb, lamb of God is described in the book of Revelation. His work is accomplished, done. And I think what we can learn from this is that God's love and salvation is great. And God wants us to know that he loves us. And as our brother, Pastor Mike, was sharing earlier through the scriptures, how his love is demonstrated by this, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And now we have the privilege to put our trust in him, to believe on him because of what he's done for us. And when we do that, we have a relationship with God and the gift of eternal life. Isn't that good news? Good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures that encourage our hearts. And we pray this morning where we can live, leave here with a sense of awe. That we wouldn't look at this sunny day with just a yawn and a, a frown with our problems. But our eyes and our hearts would be exalted to look at who you are, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who brought all of this into being, that we may know you in greater measure. Help us, Lord, to be worshipers. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know the Lamb of God, who died for them and gave themselves, who, Jesus, who gave himself up for, for them, I would pray, Lord, today they would bow that knee to Christ and accept him as Savior. And I would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.